Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 485. It just comes back down to that gritty piece. Just never say no. Keep on going. Where there's a will, there's a way. There's always something to be achieved in the automotive world. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Charlie Postens. Charlie, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Um, well, preparation is always one of my things, so here I am. I'm sat tight, and I'm, uh, I'm ready to get going. Awesome. Great to have you here. Charlie Postens grew up in Coventry, England. His father was Bill Postens, and he was a touring car racer, and his grandfather, Ted Lodes, founded Abbey Panels responsible for Jaguar C-Type prototypes and the XJ220. Charlie raced carts, Formula First, and the Renault Clio, and in his early career, he was an automotive clay sculpturer, working at design studios for Saab, Audi, VW, Rolls-Royce, and Porsche. He worked at Nissan Design America in La Jolla for 10 years. Today, Charlie has dusted off his helmet and competes as much as possible. With fellow Cars Yeah guest Cameron Clay, and he recently won his class at the Thunderhill 25-hour race. You are having some fun, my friend. So, Charlie, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment to share a little bit more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, thanks very much, Mark. And before I start, it's an absolute pleasure to be on your show. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, yeah, well, what can I add to that intro? I love it. Well, you know, my automotive journey began from word go. I think some of my very earliest memories were in the um, paddocks, uh, very wet paddocks, I may add, of the British racing circuits such as Brands Hatch, Thruxton, later Donington Park, Cadwell Park, all of which was um, in support of my dad, who at the time was racing one make racing series, the Escort Challenge, a Ford Championship. And from that early point, you know, I've been surrounded by cars. So, at the weekends, obviously, would be racing with my dad, traveling the length and breadth of the country. And then a lot of the times during the week, my mum and her father would be around, and that would be where I'd get the engineering background. I'd obviously be listening to my grandfather talking about whether it was building a new Land Rover or a new Jaguar. So um, from this, both the sporting side and the engineering side, uh, cars were literally in our house everywhere every single day growing up. And 
Um, it became apparent um, pretty early on that this wasn't just going to be something that was in my background. I was actually going to participate in myself. And I was very fortunate to get a start in go-karting right at the time when go-karting had been perceived as the starting point for a racing career. That went very, very well, ended up finishing fourth in one of the British championships. And then from there, it was cars. And, you know, if I'm going to be brutally honest, it was very successful to begin with, but budget and talent ran out right around the same time. Uh, that was a, convenient. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was convenient, but it, the reality didn't sink in for a while. You know, you oh, yeah. wanted, I wanted to put both of those off for a while. But at the same time, I, you know, going back to the engineering side, I'd been very fortunate to um, get a background in car design um, and clay sculpting is actually where I got an apprenticeship. And that really, at that point, that took over. Um, as soon as the racing faded, it was back onto another side of my automotive journey, which was the design sculpting. And as you quite quite rightly said, I traveled all over Europe, helping the design teams of some of the finest companies in the world. And it's been a fantastic journey all the way through. It really has been fantastic. Oh, awesome. Sounds like a wonderful childhood, wonderful journey. We're going to learn more about what you're doing today and some of the other things you're involved in as we move along. But first, I always like to start with a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Charlie, take the wheel. Well, there's two, and I guess um, they both lead uh, one of them to my business and automotive clay sculpting side, and then also to the motorsport side, really. And the first one is I was uh, doing my apprenticeship at my um, grandparents' engineering business in Coventry um, at the time. Um, they were doing some clay sculpting for Jaguar and Rolls-Royce, and I was kind of a little bit of a loose end to do my apprenticeship, and my grandfather, the boss, walked in, and... Um, you know, I guess I was fiddling my fingers or something. And he came up to me. Actually, no, he didn't come up to me. He just, in a quiet moment for himself, he's picked up the broom and he started brushing the floor. You know, this guy employed 200, 300 people. And here he is sweeping the floor. And I looked at him kind of like, what's going on here? And he came over to me and he said, Charlie, there's always something to be done. And from that moment on, it was a mantra that I carried. I had can you, and I will always carry. And I passed on to my kids. And in fact, only the other day here at work, I happened to mention it to someone at work, shall we say. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, it really is so true, whether it's preparing a race car, whether it's preparing yourself to go in a race car, or just doing a task at your business is um, so much in that, that if you think, kick back and put your feet up, you think it's all done, you're probably in for an accident. Yeah, in for an accident. I like the way you said that. You know, I have a big smile on my face as you're telling that story, because my father taught me that very same lesson. He was an architect had his own business and career his whole life. And yes, uh, I used to go in every Saturday because he worked every Saturday. And yep. he, I would help him by cleaning his office. And he said, there's always something to be done. Never, yep, never ever sit still. So great story. I love that. Now, you said there was a second quote. Yeah. Yeah, that was right. Um, the second part of that is, and it, this is the motor racing side. We were... My father and I, my brother, actually, we were, uh, my brother, Richard, we were, um, all racing go-karts. And one day we went to a circuit and, you know, I think I was looking for some new tires to bolt on for qualifying or something. And I went in the back and they weren't there. And my dad just went ballistic because this was going to fundamentally impact our weekend. I was probably going to start near the back. Um, and so it was going to impact the day's activity and maybe the championship. And he says, Charlie, if you've got it at home, bring it. 
And again, I started off when you asked me if I'm strapped in, it comes down to preparation and preparation is key in racing. And if you've got that part that can help you win or do a better job that weekend, what's the point in having it at home? So it's always from, from that day on, I took everything with me and it's still with me to this day. Yeah, I think there's a rule in racing. If you bring the part, it won't break. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's the items you don't bring that always go yep. haywire. So Absolutely. yeah, Murphy's Law, I think they call that. Yep. We well, talked about this wonderful childhood growing up around family members and cars. But is there a pivotal moment in your life when you realize that you, too, were a car guy? Well, you know, I've been thinking about this one. It's a really great question. And I... To be quite honest, I think there was no other choice. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was always going to be this way. But, you know, in reflection, I think about it, there was just gateposts or milestones that just confirmed it more than, so it's never a, a, an aha moment, if you will. It was more of a confirmation of. I think the two that really spring to mind, and this, this sounds crazy, but, um, I stepped up from go-karts. I can't remember the year. I should remember. I think it was 91. And I actually, took the seat that Oliver Gavin had won the Formula First Championship. He won 13 out of the 16 races and set a record. And I literally took over his car the following season. And this is great. Testing went very well. And I was very happy. And I was really kind of in denial that things were going well. And I thought, well, this, this can't really be for me. And um, I remember hearing from our manager, team manager at um, Fortec Motorsport, that, you know, there's going to be a pre-qualifying race. I think there's 50 cars entered, big field. And I was, well, you know, I was, Brian, do you think I'm going to qualify? Do you think I'm going to get on the grid? And he's like, Charlie, I think you're going to be okay. And uh-huh. I was like, all right, whatever. You know, I didn't really, you know, I was, like I said, in denial. Anyway, it was at Brands Hatch where my dad has actually had some pole positions and we've had some family fun at Brands Hatch over the years. Yeah. And after having been scared, terrified when I saw Paddock Ben for the first corner in person from the, from the circuit, obviously, mm-hmm. I managed to get in the car and qualified and I, I got out of the car and I was thinking, well, that went pretty well. I didn't get overtaken. And I remember taking off my helmet and P1, Charlie Post. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Wow. Who? I, who? <laughs> I'm on pole for my first car race. And, wow. Um, so that was uh, a landmark and definitely one of those moments where I thought, you know what? I can do this. And this is for me. I guess the footnote to that story is that I finished second to, to another guy. Uh, and I think I finished second by 0.01 or probably, probably almost as close as the, uh, NASCAR finish this year. But anyway, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, but it was a, it was a very small margin of um, defeat, but, um, yeah, that was one. And then another one for me, um, again, because as you're picking up, there's two sides to my automotive history, the racing and the design. The other one would be um, a very similar context. I, you know, I, I gained my apprenticeship in clay modeling and I was going off contracting. Actually, at a very young age, I was 20 and I was, wow. I was, a, very, I was a very young looking 20 year old. Let's just put it like that. And at the age of 21, I found myself in the design studios of Porsche um, where I was to be um, to be sculpting for six months because these I'm not entirely sure why, but these contracts were every six months, you move from one studio to another. Okay. So I found myself in the design studio. Now, I'd done a few pieces of little work after a couple of weeks. And then it came for the um, the job that we were working on, which was the road-going version of the Boxster, the first one. Oh, the the, the first original Boxster. Yeah, so we're talk- which was wow. designed by an American, Greg Larson's. Lars- yeah. So we're talking 94, I guess, 93, I think. I got assigned to the interior, which I was kind of happy about because my exterior skills weren't so hot at the time. 
And the interior has been led by a guy by the name of Wolfgang Mobius, and he's a claim to fame. I think he designed the Renault Alpine, but I know for sure he designed the Porsche 928. Yep. So I, I always say that my tools are rattling in my box <laughs> because I was working with these guys, right? Yeah, superstars. Anyway, so we'd done a few practice pieces and he, he by name asked me to help him with the um, center console, small bit, but also an important part of the new Boxster. And I thought, and again, it was one of those confirmation moments for me, which it wasn't, hey, I am a car guy. It's like, I can actually stand on my own two feet. I'm not my granddad. I'm not my godfather. I'm not my dad. I'm me and I'm making my own way in the world. So yeah. those were just a few of the benchmarks that really underlined to me that um, this automotive career is for me. It was for you. Very cool. Great stories. I would love to take a look at some of the roads you traveled down now and talk a little bit about a huge challenge or even a big failure mm. that you faced along the way. But the most important part of this always has to do with how did you overcome that situation? What did it teach you so you could move forward? Well, it's one that's ongoing, actually. Um, at a very early age, I was um, diagnosed. Di- I say that's diagnosed. I think it's a terrible word for the situation. But um, dyslexia. I have dyslexia. Ah, okay. um, and I feel that... Um, Coming to terms with that and not allowing it to infringe on my life has been a huge uh, contributor um, to my life, actually. You know, and how does that reflect in motor racing? Well, you know, I actually, one of the reasons I was relatively successful at racing, I got up to speed quickly, is as I was able to give good feedback mm. back to um, back to the engineers and back to the team. And quite honestly, I feel that I was able to communicate in a way that wasn't typical. And the way I described the handling characteristics made it very easy. I always use a very basic, I always try to pretend the person I was talking to was a kid, so a kid could understand it. Okay. And also that has also now translated hopefully something that we'll touch on shortly through my design life. Obviously you can easily see how someone who's more visually awakened uh, translates that into helping in a design career. But then, oh, yeah. but also in my career now running a business, I, I found that the way I'm able to articulate concerns and issues that we have at work, I've approached it from a different angle. I, I have to say I flunked school and I left school with literally nothing qualifications but you know largely i have to say thanks to my wife we're running a, a successful pet food business but yeah the, the the lessons or the um the um skills i've learned to express myself have stood me in good stead whether that be in automotive wise or um, running a business so yeah. just looking at things from a different angle has really helped me out well you know first and foremost thanks for sharing a very personal side to your life and story but this is very interesting to me because i've had a number of guests now on cars yeah who are either artists or they're racers that mm-hmm. have dealt with dyslexia in their life. Yeah. I have family members who've dealt with that. And I think that compensation for the challenges with that augments this other side of their lives, just like it did yours. So it's a yeah. very interesting trend that I'm, I'm hearing well, now. It's actually something that my brother talked long and hard about. I'd actually add another facet to that. Uh-huh. I would say successful or at least they could hold their own at motorsport had some kind of learning difficulties and are an artist and finally have gone on to run, I don't want to say successful businesses, but certainly have parlayed their motor racing experiences into another part of their life. You know, I mean, just a very obvious one of Jackie Stewart springs to mind, but yes. um, both ticks all those boxes. But um, uh, yeah, I, I think um, there's definitely a relation there because, you know, 
one of the things that I learned throughout my motor racing career was as short as it was, is that you have to be scrappy and you've got to think on your feet and you just got to do whatever it is to get to the track. And I think that's where my abilities are able to come in. And again, that, that'll come up later on in our conversation too. No, absolutely. In fact, the guest I had on Cars Yeah yesterday is David Murray, who's a racer. He's been racing for 30 years. He runs a coaching program and he talks about, you know, his early days of being scrappy, of living in his car, trying yeah. to pay for that next race and yeah. the challenges there. But no, very, very interesting. This is a, a hopefully a great help for those listeners out there that are dealing with the challenge of dyslexia, yeah. that there are so many great opportunities. And of course, now it's something that I think our educators know more about and they can be more helpful versus back in the old days where they would just look at a kid and go, why can't you learn this? Come on. Mm -hmm. So yeah. very cool. Very interesting story. Thanks for sharing that. I'd love to shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd like to hear your aha career moment. I like to say it's a time when the, the Marshall headlights enlighten our way down the road and helped you determine or find a new path. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. So I'm going to go off limb here. I'm going to I'm going to um, go off onto the, my business side, if that's okay. With that's you. okay. Yeah, I'd love to yeah. hear a little bit about that. In fact, it's a it's a very interesting business that I think our uh, our listeners will enjoy hearing about as well. And yeah, thank you. It's called the Honest Kitchen, and we are a line of dehydrated pet foods. The first line of dehydrated pet foods in America. And again, really, it's not too far off. It's a very similar story to um, uh, what you asked me earlier about. Pivotal moments ah, yes. um, in my career. And it, it relates back to that. And my wife had started the business and we'd, um, we put some product online, um, of our, um, human grade pet food. And we very, very early on, only after a month, um, someone, uh, a, a fellow business owner in pet food sent us an email of a company that we held in very high regard. And, um, they said to us, look, you know, we've seen what you guys are doing. You're only a month old. We'd like to buy you. We'd like to purchase your company. <laughs> yeah, we'd like, cause we see some competition coming. We don't want to deal with. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, I can't wait to share this interview with that gentleman because we are now good friends, but obviously we declined that. So when we received that email from this gentleman, it was, it was really, um, an aha moment for, for us and the business. We thought, well, you know what? If these guys are seeing something, uh, maybe we should really knuckle down here and, and carry on pursuing our dream. But I would also say that there was another moment, and again, it's a benchmark, right? It's a milestone, which right. I'm pretty keen on. The other one would be in 2007, we had the pet food recall um, that struck America um, because of the melanin that had come from China getting into the pet food, which of course is awful. And it was exactly why my wife started the business. She'd worked for A, another kibble company uh -huh. and she wanted to do something that was way way better than that and which is why we uh, only use human edible foods and obviously nothing that's tracked to be going down the pet food food processing sequence we sure. wanted to use human foods and so the pet food recall came about you know i would never wish that on anyone a recall having been through one subsequently but what it showed was overnight our literally our website orders as we were talking about earlier literally doubled overnight we had crashing websites wow um orders were going through the roof and it was just another one of those confirmation moments that we realized um you know what we need to do something and actually it was one of those moments that finally waved the flag for me and my wife that i need to leave nissan after 10 glorious years where i've done worked on some Really incredible projects. You know, I think I mentioned earlier that I, I was fortunate enough to work on the 350Z. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. I did the very original models, the quarter scale models and took that all the way through to production. Nice. So 
it had to be something pretty special to tear me away from that. And I never thought it'd be pet food. Yeah, I but, know. Isn't that funny? <laughs> but then, uh, with, uh, when we saw that the appetite was out there for a, a, a better food such as ours, it made it pretty simple. And my wife and I managed to form a great management team. She looked after products. I helped, you know, a lot of the looking after the business side of it. And, you know, it really has been a, uh, a fantastic journey, um, not the one, a lap of my journey that I never thought I would be on, Mark, but I yeah. can tell you it certainly has brought my wife and I and our kids a lot of joy, and thankfully we've been able to feed a lot of pets better nutrition, and it's really working out. No, it's a fantastic story, and I'm sure some listeners are going, wait a minute, I thought you were a car sculpture. Now we're talking about pet food, but you know, everyone who listens to Cars yeah knows there's an entrepreneurial business side to what yeah. I'm doing here, and I love the idea of people that start their own businesses, come up with creative ways to introduce something new to the market, whether it's automotive related, whatever. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show. So I appreciate you sharing that. Let's talk a little bit about proudest career moments. Is there yeah. one in particular that stands out for you? Well, it's just been, the you know, as far as the motor racing, it, it probably would be that pole position that I talked about earlier. But then towards the end of that season, I was nominated. But I have to clarify, I did not make the final list for the Autosport Young Driver of the Year, which back then, and it still is, you know, it's been won by the likes of uh, Franchitti, Coulthard. I think McNish won it. Um, and more recently, um, well, obviously Hamilton won it. And so yeah. I was nominated. I didn't make the final six, but certainly for me, that was a very proud moment for myself. But as far as the business goes, um, it, it literally has just been seeing it grow and um, seeing we were able to bring on some young people into our business very early on, and they're still with us to this day. And, and just seeing the brand grow and seeing the recognition we now have in the industry that's been a very, very proud moment for me and my wife to share that together. But, you know, specifically, there's one thing that I did with the business. And again, I hate to harp on about the pet food, but, you know, as we were actually talking about before we started the interview, there's a big, shall we say, uh, relationship between online sales and um, brick and mortar sales. And we recognize this has been a threat to our business. And so I instigated here at the Honest Kitchen a minimum advertised price policy, um, which sounds like a very small part of our business. But I can tell you when we came out with that three years ago, it's very, very important. And um, we were actually a, an industry leader in that. And it stood us in good stead. So it sounds very minor, but affecting that change and getting an even playing field for both retail and bricks and mortar, I'm sorry, and online um, has been pivotal to the success of the company. And it's been, uh, it, it's something that I'm pretty proud of. So for those listeners to understand what you're explaining there is there's an even price point applied to online sales and brick and mortar retail sales to your product. So nobody's yep. undermining the other person. In theory. In theory. <laughs> yes, I, I've been there, done that. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that's great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's have a little bit of fun here and talk about your first really special car. And maybe you could share a memory you have with that vehicle. I see a big smile on your face. There's a huge smile on my face. And again, I'm going to loop right back to the beginning and talk about the gritty part and what it takes to be in racing because not many of us are fortunate enough to be placed in a racing car. So it always came down to being scrappy and making the best out of what you got. And um, for me, my dad, he had a Suzuki dealership car, that is, just around the time when they started flipping over the XJ412, 413, I think it was. Okay. I don't know if you remember Suzuki's were flipping over. Do you remember? Well, I remember the Suzuki Samurais. That's the, it. Same car. <laughs> same same car. car, yeah. yeah My yeah. father lived in Saudi Arabia for some years, and he bought one. 
and traveled yeah. around in that car. And yeah, he yeah. said if you go around a corner too fast, whoa. <laughs> yeah, the SJ413, as it was in England. Anyway, so dad had this dealership and, uh, you know, people would come in and part exchange their old car to get their new car. So kind of the way that dad augmented our racing budget was for me and my brother. He would say, look, guys, I've just got this beater over here. You can have this car, but you've got to pay me back what I took in part exchange. Anything that you get, anything you sell it for ahead of that, you can do what you will. And trust me, it all went towards racing. But the very first one that I managed to close a deal on, and it was actually my very first car. You will not believe this. <laughs> it was a Suzuki Alto, of all things. Alto? I, okay. A Suzuki Alto. Okay. <laughs> it's about as big as a Fit in today's parlance. Uh-huh. Um, a Honda Fit, that is. Yeah. So it's a tiny little car, and it was blue. It was probably a 1988 and so my dad gave me the whole rundown. It's your first car, you know, have a bit of fun in it, but let's sell it and move it on and get you another one so you can put that two or three hundred bucks into some tires or whatever it, whatever we needed that particular right. day. So there was actually a whole litany of cars that followed thereafter, including larders, a Hyundai truck, and I'm sure I'll, others will spring to mind. But, you know, rather than one car, it was that set of cars because you know, it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about, you know, how to move a car on, how to raise a bit of money and how to be gritty. And dare I say it, potentially even a little bit entrepreneurial. So those first few cars um, that my dad, um, shall we say, donated. Uh I I do have to say, because I know I'm sure a lot of people at home in England will listen to this. Not all of them were sold and some of them died pretty soon after. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you can put the uh, put two and two together there. But yep. yeah, those were a bunch of very serious and enjoyable fun cars for me. Very cool. Great life lessons your father was offering you there as well. Yep. So very yep. special. Now, how about a car that you let go that you really wish you had back in your garage today? Well, yeah, and I, I guess that goes to the my um, transatlantic trip that I undertook. You know, Nissan hired me from um, having seen my work in Europe. They asked me to come over here and ended up, like you mentioned, being with them for 10 glorious years in La Jolla, California. But I never knew that I was leaving England because it was a three-year, I'm sorry, a three-month contract to begin with. (laughs) Um, And you know how that goes. Here I am 20 years later. But anyway, Nissan gave me the job. But when I left England, I thought I better get rid of all my worldly goods. And at that time, when I was doing the Renault Clio Championship, that had come to an end. And I had a Rover Coupe, um, the Rover 200 Coupe. And it was nothing particularly special. It was a little hot rod. Um, I had a lot of fun in it. I traveled up and down the country going to all the racetracks that I mentioned earlier and then also going to my design job in the day. And, you know, I sold that car to help with my transition across the Atlantic to help me get set up in the park and in Thousand Oaks of all places. But anyway, yeah, that car, that Rover 200 that I sold, I had it for probably two years and a lot of memories went with that car. And if I, somewhere, I'm sure I have a photograph of it with a registration plate and I may be able to trace it back, but Mm. it's well gone at this point. And um, I would dearly love to have that car back. Yeah, usually it's the memories of why we want a vehicle back. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had a lot of friends who've gone and bought the car they had as a kid and then they drive it and they go i don't remember it being this bad <laughs> yeah and, and, and i don't want to be too rude but it's a rover so i yeah. think that's definitely going to fall into that category maybe a little rough yeah well let's yeah. talk about today i know we've talked about pet food company and what you're doing and projects but i know too that as i mentioned in your intro you dusted off your helmet you got together with another uh, fellow cars yeah, guest guy here that likes to get on the track maybe you can talk a little bit about what you're doing in a car these days yeah, well, thank you. Um, I, I like to say I was on the wagon 
there for about <laughs> for several years. My actually, my brother races classic cars himself back in Europe, an A40 um, and some BMWs, and he now has um, one of the Tom Walkinshaw um, original Rovers, the SD ones. Oh wow, yeah, yeah, one of the original ones. He's racing that in Europe, and I go and I used to go and race with him a little bit occasionally in Europe. And I was just thought, you know, maybe once the uh, business is, uh, once we got some sail in our winds, maybe I will venture back out there. And right around that time, I was back in England on a vacation and I bumped into an old buddy of mine by the name of Jim Morris, who, um, he, he was in from my village and his father and my father used to knock each other off racetracks all over England. So he lived the same automotive story as myself and he ended up building, um, as a, uh, a fire extinguisher safety business for the, um, motor racing world called Lifeline Automotive Safety Products. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I was at home chatting to him and he says, Charlie, I import some racing oil from America, Redline Racing Oil. You, Red really, li- ought, oh, yeah. you, you really ought to hook up with the, uh, the, I'm sorry, the president, Cameron Evans. And I thought, you know, this is typical racing talk. Nothing's going to come of this. And this is just around that time I was getting itchy feet and wanted to get back into a racing car. So, you know, on the wing and a prayer, I phoned him up and Cameron uh, did a great job of telling me all his plans and what he wants to do racing. And I was thinking, you know what? You know, I, I, that was a great conversation. I'm not sure if I'll hear back from Cameron, but sure enough, before too long, he phoned me up and he hooked me up with James Clay from Dimmer Worlds and, um, another one of your guests, James yep. Colborn. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I like to say that Cameron has got me off the wagon big time. <laughs> and, uh, Good. as I'm very proud of the friendship, it's, it's so it came, again, through an old contact in England and it's come full circle. And, you know, we started off by doing some chump car races. Um, we had some success. We finished second at Daytona with Jim Morris from Lifeline, I should say, um, back a few years ago now. That was at Daytona. And then, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, the biggest success we've had to date has been winning the um, Thunderhill 25-hour race yeah. um, in December last year, which was run, started out in the dry, ended in the wet, very mixed race, but through um, very, very smart um, tactics in the pits and a fantastic racing team, a, a, a team of guys. Um, we, we won the race quite handsomely in the end, but, you know, it really was um, a lot of fun that made it myself and Cameron realize that, you know, we can do this. Another one of those benchmarks or even one of those milestones, perhaps. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of plans at the moment uh, to do a little bit more of that. There'll be a lot more of that. But uh, I yeah. think we're all looking forward to stepping it up a level and maybe trying something a little bit more um, advanced, maybe maybe something like the Continental Series or um, something like that. But um, I think it's just safe to say that the um, the racing bug has bit myself well and truly again (laughs) it's back uh, it's back and i think um i think at this part this stage of my career or my life it's it won't get in the way too much but i'm certainly looking forward to um a lot more adventures out on the track that's for sure very cool so happy to hear that and a great group of guys you mentioned they're all past cars yeah i guess and we'll have to contact your buddy in england maybe get him on the show as well talk about his safety business so very cool now here's a very introspective question for you charlie if you were a car what kind of car would you be and why (laughs) but my wife and i have had a good long laugh about this question good and she she says uh, i'm not sure if this is going to resonate with the american populace but a reliant robin is what she wanted me to say (laughs) (laughs) and for, for, for the listeners out there who don't know what that is that's a it was, I think it's from Blackpool in England. Like, anyway, it's three wheels and it's got a 750 engine and it doesn't do anything very well. Except so fall over, I think. <laughs> except, yeah, actually it was famous for the Top Gear episode. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking of. 
So that's what she would like me to say. Okay. I, I, on the other hand, you know, I'd like to say something beautiful and exotic, but that really doesn't describe myself, which is what you're after. And I think, therefore, uh, I'm going to go with the uh, Golf GTI Mark One. I. I mean, I think it's just a, such a practical car. It's also beautiful, dare I say it, but basic, and it gets the job done really, really well. And, yeah. and I, hopefully I share a few of those qualities, and maybe the gritty quality comes in there somewhere as well, but... I was fortunate enough to have one a few years, well, not a few years ago, back when I was, um, you know, taking my dad's part exchange cars and moving them on. I, that was one that came through my hands and ended up in a little bit of trouble in the south of France, but we'll move on <laughs> from that one. But yeah, the Golf um, Mark I is, uh, it has a lot of racing history for myself, but also just from aesthetically, it's simple, beautiful, gets the job done. What there can I you say? go. No, great answer. I love it. And by the way, that question came from a fellow Brit. An early guest I had, he's actually returned guest here, artist Harold Cleworth is right. the one that gave me the idea for that question. So, yeah, great. So, Charlie, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. All right, Charlie, we are back and we're entering the last lap. You've been on the track. You know what that means. The white flag is out. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Got it. I'm all ready. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Well, it goes to, there's two, as ever, it's never simple. But they're um, both on the motor racing side of my life. Um, and that would be uh, win at the slowest possible speed. One that I never, I think it was Fangio who said it. I never actually managed to master it, but, um, it's certainly one that I try to, um, have in my mind at all times when I'm in the car. I mean, think about it. How, how more simple and succinct can it be? You know, don't endanger yourself any more than you have to. It's, I think it makes so much sense. But the other one and the other one that I, I always, whenever I'm looking at data in a race car or I was ever lapping and thinking about my performances, someone once said to me, and it wasn't particularly eloquently said, but they said, you're either on the gas or you're on the brakes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you're not on either of those, we've got a problem. Yes. No coasting. <laughs> no coasting. And I know, you know, there are cases where you do need to coast and, you know, that we're getting some, you know, advanced techniques maybe, but certainly as a, as, as a, as a thought process that I'm always looking at is um, if you're not on one, you've got to be on the other. Absolutely. And to tie those two uh, concepts together, when Brian Redmond was my guest here, another Brit uh, on the show, he said that when he was very young, he asked Fangio, how do you go around the track so fast? And he simply said, more throttle, less brake. <laughs> <laughs> what more can you say? <laughs> what more can you say? Pretty simple. How about personal habits? Is there one that you feel you have that has helped contribute to your success over the years? Yeah, I, I do. I think it's, you know, I was, you know, and it goes, <laughs> everything we're talking about today is going full circle, isn't it? But there's always something to be done, but it, it, it's the um, never giving up. 
you know, you know, never, ever give up. If you, I don't know anybody that's been on your show. Everyone who's been on your show, I guarantee has been told no. And that for me and my, my family and for my business, that's red rag to a ball. That just means go harder. Yeah. And, um, you know, we have that here on, in the offices when I, we talk to people about product development, they say, you know, we can't get it ready for the show. And I go, no, that's the wrong answer. Wrong answer. No. <laughs> Start again. And it begins with a why. Yeah, um, exactly. So, so that's the one. And I, I guess that kind of dovetails with the gritty part and the entrepreneurial part. But yeah, never say no. Absolutely. I've had many racers on the show, and that is usually their mantra, never give up. So, yep. And to quote another great Brit, Sir Winston Churchill, never, never, ever, ever give up. So yep, <laughs> how about a resource? I know there's a lot out there, but is there one in particular you think our listeners would enjoy? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk about both my design side now and then, of course, the motor, motorsport side. Um, there's probably no news on one of them on the motor racing side. It would be the motorsport magazine. You know, I'm sure you're probably you subscribe yourself, but you know, I have it going back now many, many years and what you can learn from that magazine never ceases to end. And furthermore, it points you in the direction where you can touch on a subject, but you can dig really deep. Um, and such some of the finest, um, racing journalists, you know, such as, um, Roebuck and Doug Nye. And I just find those guys such an inspiration to read and they constantly keep my fire stoked. And they certainly did keep my fire stoked during the, um, five years off, 10 years off from racing that I had. And, and now I'm back at it. I, um, I'm more fervent about reading those magazines than ever before. So, so that's one. And then as far as the, um, I try to keep my hand in, with the automotive design side, you know, you never know when pet food's not going to sell anymore. <laughs> but you never know what might happen or what is down the road. So I yep. always keep my hand in. There's an awesome website for anybody who's inspired by car design. And it's simply called Car Design News. Hmm. And it really touches on, you know, movements inside the industry, trends on inside the industry, technology inside the industry. So I'm able to keep my feet, my toes a little bit wet on the design side. And it's a, it's an awesome resource and it's got thousands of links and I can highly recommend it. Awesome. Great. I just renewed my uh, magazine subscription to that magazine yesterday, along with yeah. I was looking here to uh, Classic and Sports Car Magazine as well. So Absolutely. Uh, two great publications Absolutely. from across the pond, yep. as they say, the other, the other pond and the other side, since I'm on, yep. we're both on the West Coast. <laughs> Now, how about a book? Is there a book in particular you think our listeners would really love to read? Yeah, there's two. And again, I hope I'm not boring your listeners, but it's, again, it goes to that gritty side and what it takes to be a race car driver and perhaps successful in business as well. And they were um, two ex, one Irish, one English racing drivers, both made it a Formula One through nothing but sheer work and hard work and determination. And that is um, Tommy Byrne, Crashed and Byrne. Oh, Tommy's been a guest here on the show. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I just thought I read that book both these books and it just touched me. They both did. And the second one, of course, is Perry McCarthy, um, flat out, flat broke. And I ah, think, yes. <laughs> um, I think, you know, as I've already said, 99% of the people out there aren't lucky enough to be poured into a race car. You've got to make it happen. And I think those two books, I found, I actually found reading them extremely emotional. Actually, I think mm. it was, um, it, it really resonated. And, you know, you read a lot of the, um, glossy motor racing publications and they completely turn a blind eye to how, they got into a racing car. It was just like it happened, like it, they deserved yeah. to be there. Yeah, overnight and, success. <laughs> yeah, and these two books, they don't shy away from it, and it's not pretty, and it's ugly, uh, but at the same time, they achieve their goals, and, and both those guys, are, they got, you know, the heroes of mine, and a lot of um, admiration. I'm very lucky 
following my dad around the circuits of England. I got to see a lot of these guys racing, and and certainly Perry McCarthy in the day was something to watch in Formula Ford. It was like nothing else. Yeah, great books. Well, I'll remind our listeners you can find links to all these great resources Charlie has been so kind to share today on his very own show notes page at carsyad.com slash Charlie Postins. And Charlie's last name is spelled P-O-S-T-I-N-S. Also, there's a great place on the Cars yeah website called Guest Recommended Books, where these books and all the past 484 guests here on Cars yeah's books are listed for quick, easy links. So, Charlie, this last question, now that we're up to the checkered flag, can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car, and I'll include collector race car, if that's what you'd like to have in your garage, or parked in your office there, or your living room, if you're... Lovely wife would let you do that. I think my wife might let me do that. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but money's no object. I'm going to buy you whatever car you'd like today. What would that vehicle be and why? Well, that's a great question. And I'm going to bring all my three things together here. So it ticks all those boxes in. All right. You know, this car, it was it was built. All the prototypes for this car were built by my grandfather. Ooh. It's certainly an iconic design. So it fills that. And then, of course, um, as far as the business, I think it, it made a great business sense for the owners of the car, obviously, but it with the Jaguar D-Type, uh, the 1957 um, Le Mans winner. I just think the car is one of the most beautiful cars. Um, it's from a sculptural side, um, the way the fenders flow and that whole era of cars from Jaguar. They're so beautiful, so organic in their design. that, um, And they also happen to be very efficient and, and, and race winners, obviously. And, and the fact that there's obviously a personal um, element in that, I, I'm sorry you're going to have to write quite a sizable check to um, <laughs> yeah. secure me one of those. But I write but a I, lot of those big checks. <laughs> but, you know, for me, if, if there was to be one of those, in fact, this is one of those times that if I was ever to secure one of those, I don't care what the wife says. It would be in the living room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, great choice. And I, I love the tie with your family going back to your grandfather, designing those cars, sculpting them. Or in those cases, panel beating them, I guess it was. Yeah, absolutely. Charlie, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. I've really enjoyed learning more about you and your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down the racetrack in that Jaguar D-Type? Well, I I guess, um, you know, it, it just comes back down to that gritty piece. Just never say no. Keep on going. And um, where there's a will, there's a way. There's always something to be achieved in the automotive world. I think there's so many opportunities out there. Um, you know, I, I, I'm so lucky to have failed at school. Um, but the, the, the automobile has given me an amazing life. It's been the backbone to everything that my wife, Lucy, and I have done. I've just got a lot to be grateful for the automobile. And I, I feel that those kind of opportunities are out there for a lot of people if they want to get inspired. Absolutely. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you? And of course, the business that you and Lucy and your talented team have built down there in San Diego, my old stopping grounds. Yeah, we're proud of what we've built down here in San Diego. Um, you can find us online at www.thehonestkitchen.com. You can also find us at um, many, many um, four and a half thousand outlets across the country. Wow. Um, so we're in a lot of the quality pet store chains across the world, including Pet Food Express, Mud Bay, All the Best, Healthy Spot, Pet Supplies Plus. We're up and down the country. And, um, you know, we've got a a hard working group of 50 people here and we believe that we can bring better nutrition to way more animals yet so we're looking forward to that and thank you for the opportunity oh absolutely yeah for those listeners out there I know there's a lot of them with pets 
Uh, boy, check this out because what they're doing there is so unique, so cool. And when you talk about loving your pets and wanting them to only eat the best, uh, this is the best, definitely. Very cool website for our listeners to check out. And of course, you can find this website and everything Charlie shared again on his very own show notes page at carsyad.com or put Charlie in the search bar and his page will pop right up. Charlie, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with our listeners and with me. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time, Mark. It's been an honor being on and uh, I can't wait to uh, speak again soon. Pleasure's been all mine. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.